0: Welcome to Reframing Our Stories, the podcast. This podcast is about provocative conversations with beautiful thinkers about topics that matter and the stories that have helped them reframe their lives. Grab something cozy or put on your walking shoes and let's reframe. Welcome listeners to reframing our stories. I'm glad that you're here again. I wanted to just give some fair warning for this episode today, where there's going to be just some mention of sexual abuse, assault, and rape, uh, as well as suicide. I believe that it's important to mention these things so it does not catch you off guard. So I'm really excited for you to hear our guest today. And I hope that you enjoy the show. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm very happy today to be talking with Dr. Leah Liz, also known as the Shameless Psychiatrist. Dr. Leah shares a passion of mine of helping families talk about sex and recently wrote a book called No Shame. Real Talk with Your Kids About Sex, Self-Confidence, and Healthy Relationships. I've had the pleasure of reading parts of this book, and I must say, it is excellent. She has a thriving clinical practice where she helps adults and children with varying mental health issues in Southampton, New York. Dr. Leah has also written for a number of publications, such as the Chicago Tribune, the Washington Post, and others like Good Housekeeping. She has been featured as an expert on parenting on programs shown on ABC, CBS, and NBC. Dr. Leah's goal is to help parents raise strong, secure, and resilient children who also are strong, secure, and resilient as adults. One way she does this is to help parents parent from a sex-positive lens. I know I'm excited to learn from her, and I hope you will be as well. Dr. Leah, thank you for joining us today. I'm really excited that we get to talk to you.
1: I'm excited to be
0: here. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Um, Okay, so you just put out this book uh, called No Shame, Real Talk with Your Kids About Sex, Self-Confidence, and Healthy Relationships. And I want to say, as I've been reading it, what I love about it already is that it is um, so user-friendly, but also um, I love that you incorporate developmental psychology into it to help give more of a deeper understanding for parents to understand where they might want to be coming from and to what um, the ages and stages and things like that. So I already think it's a lovely book. And in the book that I found to be fascinating was you had talked about Um, that you were exposed to psychiatry at a young age by shadowing your aunt. So could you tell us more about that experience and then why you concentrate on sexual health? Sure. Um,
1: My aunt is a psychiatric social worker and recognizing my empathy and talents was a very like kind of old soul kid. She was like, do you want to come to Hillside Hospital, which is a hospital in uh, basically in Great Neck in Long Island and shadow me And so I did, and much to the amazement of everyone in my life, because I was such a baby, she would like take me to like by 16, like 15, I just kind of maybe followed around a little bit by 16, I was like in the locked psychiatric wards and um, just talking to various patients. And one of the formative patients was... um, was a man named Mark who had um, HIV/AIDS and AIDS-related dementia. This is, you know, towards the end of the AIDS um, epidemic. In that period of time, I'm aging myself a bit, and um, I guess this would have been around '92, uh, and um, and he had a real. He was like a pretty young, young guy, maybe 25. And he really changed my whole perspective on the world because I was a little more sheltered than that. And from there, it blossomed to, you know, Hey, I want to be a social worker And my aunt's like, no, 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 no. You want to be a psychiatrist. If I could go back and do it again, oh. being your age, <laughs> I would be the boss lady because I'm already the boss lady, but I still get bossed around. You're going to be the real boss lady. So uh, uh, that's so good then, advice. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: So she, um, She encouraged me to become a psychiatrist, which I decided I wanted to do by age 17. Um, So all of Dart, when I went to Dartmouth, I was a cognitive neuroscience major and Mm. all of my life, I wanted to be a psychiatrist, like a child psychiatrist, nonetheless. And, you know, it's so unbelievable to have a calling. And when Malcolm Gladwell talks about the 10,000 hours, I've had 20, 30,000 hours now in this field. Mm. So I can really recognize when a kid walks in the room, I can pretty much tell you half of what I need to know about them just by their walk, by the way they can be within the first sentence. It's, it's an incredible gift that I have. So anyway, the whole idea of sexuality, that's another question that I would love to talk to you about, which is that I worked at St. Vincent's um, because I went to New York Medical College. New York Medical College was such a gift. I can't even tell you. I got with, listed at Columbia and got into New York med and I was so upset by it, but now I'm looking back saying, you know, Hmm. everything happens for a reason because I was meant to be at St. Vincent's. Hmm. St. Vincent's changed my life. It was the closest uh, hospital to the world trade center. When the towers went down, I was right there, literally right there watching them fall from a surgery room during the OBGYN rotation. Um, And I saw the second plane hit, went down to the ground floor. We all all waiting on gurneys. I mean, it was it was such a, like, it's this memories and tran you know, anyway, but of course it was the height of, you know, the village where we had all kinds of alternative um, uh, sexual orientations mm-hmm. and gender identities and family structures. And, you know, it was through that lens that I started to really understand how uh, families can be made up of very, very different. And that you know there was such shame around um, sexual identity and sexual orientation, mm. um, and everyone experiences shame when we feel we violate the social norms we believe in, right? Yeah. So it's not even necessary for disapproving person to be present. It's just you can imagine this this personal internalized narrative, and then um, if you challenge the societal norms, which this was this was you know ways back. And um, there was so much shame. And I said, you know what I want to do? I want to stop the shame around sexuality. Sexuality is beautiful. And so through my work there and then my private practice treating teenage girls, you know, and, and all kinds of people, but of course the teenage girls really hit the most home for me in terms of the, the coming of age story and how tough it was for them. I decided to write this book and I position myself as an expert on
0: sexuality. That's amazing. I feel like, I mean, all those experiences are invaluable. 100%. You know, being able to have that experience at such a young age and for you to also, I mean, it sounds like you went into that space being more intrigued. Like you had talked about having empathy rather than fearful, because I could imagine myself at that age. And I can look at my teenage preteen daughter now being more, kind of fearful and nervous about that experience around different, you know, displays of mental health, but it seems like you were more intrigued. So, I mean, how did you have that sense of, you know, empathy and being able to walk into that space with just curiosity?
1: Well, my Aunt Marie was a big influence because she was so strong and powerful. And Mm -hmm. so she rubbed off on me. Um, But also I think I was, um, I just was able to, to have this, and i still do have this mix of incredible empathy but also um it's not my problem like it's not my uh, my, mm-hmm. my internal problem like i can just be like i feel i feel for you but i can just go home and be like but that's your your life and not mine which i think is a an incredible skill i mean there are few patients that get to me every once in a while i'll have a good cry over a patient but and usually it's because they remind me of myself in some way, like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. what I was like as a child or then it kind of gets cause it triggers some of my own trauma. But, um, but most of the time I just like, I, I feel for you and I want to be there for you. But I also, I'm the, like, this is a job for me. So, you know, I have managed to set up walls and boundaries which you have to as a psychiatrist or any, you know, compassionate doctor. Um, but, you know, so I have managed to, to toe that line. But I love my job. I am the luckiest person in the world. I love it. I'm really good at it. And I constantly am learning and growing. And it's the most exciting, wonderful space to be in. But I went from micro to macro because I got I got tired of just seeing patients. And I do teach a little at, at New York Medical College residents. But I really felt like I wanted to to really get the message out more broadly globally, the macro level, which is why I do these podcasts, because I do think we can change culture. And that's the key to end of the Me Too movement and to help teenage girls and boys not get assaulted and feel proud about their body and, you know, all the things that are, I want for them. Mm -hmm. Um, I can help in that process. I'm starting in the parenting space, but I'm quickly going to evolve into the, you know, you know, reaching out to millennials and to adolescents directly um, and help change the conversation. I mean, I do see myself going from where I am now to more of like a wise elder, you know, cause now I'm getting older, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I want to be the next Dr. Ruth, you know, except a lot taller.
0: Ah, <laughs> right. oh, I love Dr. Ruth. <laughs> <laughs> so you had talked about with your practice of teenage girls. So what did you hear the most from teenagers in your practice that they were struggling with or are struggling with?
1: Well, teenage girls struggle tremendously from shame. Mm -hmm. Uh, Adolescents are more likely to experience shame than adults and women are more likely to experience negative effects of shaming. Um, And also women saying no and the expectation of making an excuse or even worse, caving in and feel guilty is paramount, right? Um, So for teenage girls, you know, they're often having sex because they feel they have to, because their boyfriend will break up with them or because, um, because everyone else is doing it and they're not really ready and they don't really understand their own bodies. They don't have any experience with masturbation. They don't really have never given permission to experience pleasure. So Mm -hmm. the, the experiences they're having are often painful, like literally physically painful. Mm -hmm. And, um. And they get so confused about what they think they should like and what they actually do like, and they're not given permission to set boundaries and the language to do so. So, you know, it just it just grated on me. And so, you know, I would say, okay, if you're, if you're going to do the crime, you can do the time. So a lot of psychiatrists are scared to talk about sexuality, especially teenagers. I'm not. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm also blessed because I'm a woman. And so nobody's going to accuse me very unlikely of accusing me of crossing any boundaries because it's just absurd, you know, the thought that I would, (laughs) you know, um, but I don't know how it is for a male psychiatrist, but I can tell you how it is for me, which is that. You know, I will ask them very frank questions about sexual pleasure, about orgasms, about touch, about what they like, what they don't like. And they trust me, you know? And it is an incredible journey we go on together where I make them figure out how to experience pleasure in their sex because they're already having it and they're not experiencing pleasure. So, I think it's a job also for parents. I know it sounds daunting, but like you can help your child understand that their body is made for pleasure and there are ways that they can garner it through appropriate conversations about boundaries and you know and loving themselves and learning about and all those things and those those are conversations for parents. They know their kids a heck of a lot better than I know them, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they should be having these discussions and and therefore these kids wouldn't get I mean no kid would get assaulted if their parents, I mean, very unlikely. Of course, it was the random assaults that happen, you know, totally randomly, but I'm talking more like date rape and stuff like that. If these kids really understood how to express their boundaries in yeah. more in a more effective way. And they were a lot more careful about alcohol. And, you know. There there doesn't need to be this anymore. We can end this sexual abuse cycle that's been going on in this culture. We can end it, you know, and and I feel the way to end it is doing better with kids, teaching them better.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a sense of agency, right? Giving the children agency and giving them the language. I think that is the biggest thing that, you know, you touched upon is they don't have the language of talking about you know, I always talked about with consent, it's how you get to the consent. Like they don't yeah. have those skills and I and that's, that's very clear. And I think you help map that out in your book in the way of here's some guidelines like in which you can help as parents to get to those places to have these conversations. And I think it's what's hard for parents is to think of their kids as sexual beings, to even explore the idea of talking to them about pleasure. And it's like being able to switch like turn the switch, I think of being able like, well, let's talk about pleasure in any sense of the world word and how do you experience pleasure in everyday life and different things like that. But I think being able to talk from the pleasure standpoint of saying, you know, I want you to have good relationships that are pleasurable. Here's how you can have those, right? Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) It's so critical. And Would you trust that job? I mean, you take your kids to the dentist, you take your kids to the doctor, you you know, you care for their health. You're going to trust probably the most important part of all of that to a school, you know, or worse, pornography. Or
0: or the playground, um, right on the side corner of what they learned from friends,
1: (laughs) I mean, you could take the kids, the dentist every year, but if you don't teach them the language to say no around sexuality and they get raped, that will do much more trauma to them than all of that stuff combined. Like, you know, it's just such, it's such a big deal. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's so ubiquitous on college campuses, sexual abuse and assault. And it's because teenagers aren't protecting themselves. And, you know, obviously, you know, there's a lot to be done educating both, you know, boys about boundaries and men about boundaries and women about, you know, boundaries, but it's also like creating an environment in which everybody understands the importance of consent.
0: Yeah. And I think also it's teaching the kids to value themselves. Even I feel like in the conversations with boys, I feel like we, we teach in such a way of like, boys, you have to wait for these, Words of consent instead of saying you deserve consent, too. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) It's like there's all those comprehensive things.
1: Uh, Well, I talk about that too. It's like, if you know, it's not about just not getting a no, right? (laughs) But there's something so exhilarating for a boy or a young man about getting a really emphatic yes. Oh, I want you. Yeah. You know, I want you. I want you. Mm -hmm. I'm so excited to be with you. I want you to touch me. I want you to
0: be with right?
1: Like, yeah. isn't that exciting? Shouldn't, shouldn't they desire that above all else?
0: Yeah. Yes. It's sexy. Right.
1: Yeah.
0: So then what do you believe is one of the best things that parents can do right away to help their children have emotional wellness? Cause a lot of this, I think I, that people don't necessarily understand is like sexuality conversations are about emotional wellness, which is what a lot of this is. So what would, what would you suggest for parents to Right well, away.
1: talking openly about your children uh, with your children about sex can help delay sexual initiation, provide support when they feel they're ready, and also give them the education and tools to prevent unwanted um, advances, sexual transmitted diseases, and only half of adolescents have received any formal uh, education about contraception, which is kind of nuts. And you know, teens who identify as LGBTQ are at much higher rate of contracting STDs. So it's like all these things. Like, just start the conversations, and you have to start them young because you're not going to have the talk right when they're when they're ten or twelve or whatever. It, that's an absurd concept because by then, a, they've already heard a lot, and b, they're going to be really, really awkward about it. Mm-hmm. So you you know, because it's like almost too late. You have to really start the conversations from as soon as they can talk, even. I mean, not conversations, but even birth, like it's a developmental timeline and you're always setting the stage. You're always setting the stage for the next talk with the one prior. It's multiple talks over many, many years. And what I mean by that is, you know, it starts from, you know, even birth, when, you know, you see them masturbating, because little babies do, you, you know, anyone who's had a baby will tell you they see them do it. And, and it's like, you know, how you respond to that, you know, do you ignore it? Or do you push their hands away? Or what are the messages you're sending from that very first day? to through adolescence. And it's like constant, you know, changing and devol- you know, evolving to conversations and all the conversations are laid out in my book. I'm very happy to talk you through each developmental stage, but it's like, then it's like layers and layers and layers and layers and layers until you get to the fact that, you know, you're just their friend. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right just trying to help them out so why would you say um for people that are listening one of the things you said was that lgbtq are higher risk for stis and why would you say that was the case
1: well because um it's not well because anal sex is not talked about it's like so taboo in our culture Mm -hmm. and so for um uh homosexual boys you know they're you know, or not even, it's just any boy is experimenting. You don't have to be, you know, labeled anything. They're never given any really, uh, advice on how to really protect themselves. Mm -hmm. And, um, so they're just at huge high risk. That's one. And the second is because boys who identify as homosexual are more likely to be sexually abused or assaulted. It's just fact, Mm -hmm. um, because they're made fun of, they're bullied and, um, and, you know, it's, it's a sad fact in this society.
0: Mm-hmm. I also heard something too, that some, um, you know, youth who identifies or who are born female uh, and who are queer also can become more susceptible to pregnancy. Mm. And I think because of the fact of they're trying to hide their identity still. Mm-hmm. And so they, um, also get into more promiscuous behavior and because they're not talked to regularly about that as well.
1: Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's more important in these populations, but you know, it doesn't really matter. Cause this is what I see it. If you're raising a teenager, you don't know. And you know, it could obviously sexuality is a sexual orientation develops over time. So you have no clue as a parent, how that, you know, how the chips are going to fall and you just need to be open to any, outcome. Mm-hmm. And so you got to treat each child exactly the same and give them all the information about anal sex, about, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's a girl or a boy about, you know, the different kinds of sexual orientation and let's see where the chips fall over time. But just because you think your kid's not gay doesn't mean they're not going to have anal sex
0: anyway. Right. Exactly. I'm like, aren't they having anal sex? <laughs> of- yeah. Yeah.
1: So <laughs> you, know, like, you need to give them that education regardless. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Mm -hmm. what do you say to parents then who parents are afraid to have these conversations and part of it is because they actually don't have the knowledge and they too don't understand contraceptives I would say as much as they um, would want to understand them so what would be some of the things that you would tell them to help guide them into their own like sense of being increased in their knowledge around this and helping themselves grow so that they could be the go-to people for their kids?
1: Well, you know, they need to educate themselves. So, you know, I think it's about owning your sexual story and your sexual history um, as a parent. So where do you feel that you're lacking in knowledge or where do you feel that your parents didn't prepare you as, as an adolescent or where is your sense of sexual trauma and where are your hot buttons and do a little self-exploration, whether that be in something like my book where I talk, walk you through it or, you know, finding a therapist and, you know, because you can only pass down wisdom if you feel wise, right? Mm-hmm. If you're afraid and you're scared, you're not going to pass down a whole lot of wisdom, right? And then um, you need to get resources and help. And, and I'm talking about, there are great resources books there are great you know webinars and things on the web and things to help parents like get educate yourself as to what language you should use because there's a lot of really smart people like me and other psychologists who write these books and can give you the exact language you know Mm -hmm. you can even read the books to your kids with your kids like Corey silverberg's books and you know it's not the stork and sex is a funny word and then there's you know um There's lots of great, you know, stuff. Selena Noon has courses online that you can do with your teenagers Um, or your little kids, you know, actual webinars that go through slide by slide. You can sit there with your kids. It gives you the exact language. You don't have to reinvent
0: the wheel here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's great. So for you, how has being a parent changed the way you teach and provide therapy for clients? Oh, that's a good question.
1: Well, I have two girls, eight and 10. Um, I want to say not a whole lot in that. I mean, I'm not one of those people who thinks being a parent makes me an expert on parenting. Mm. I think there's a lot of experts on parenting who are not parents. You know? <laughs> right. uh, and just because I've done it doesn't make me an expert um, because you can't really be very objective with your own children as as if you would like. I mean, it gives me maybe a little street cred, fine. But, you know, it's mm-hmm. not, it's not, you know, okay, you know. I listen to a lot of these parenting podcasts. I'm like, what gives you the right to say this stuff just because you popped on a couple of kids, you know? (laughs) Um, And so I think what makes, I think they give me, um, they humble, they humble me, if anything, Hmm. because um, they're not easy and they make me realize how difficult it is to put my my tools into practice. And um, they keep me humble and empathetic. Oh, that's great. A parenting story because <laughs> I screw a lot. Like God knows I'm not perfect, and you know my parents look. at, I mean, my kids look at me like, "Mom, oh really?" Or "Not this again." Or, you know, but they're you know I I try to think I'm a little better than the um, main character from the Netflix show Sex Education. Oh yeah, <laughs> 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 screws up their their boy. I'm hoping all. Somewhere
0: between perfect parent and that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's, it makes me, for me, it makes me be able to just talk to parents so much easier about like, so we all really do have triggers. <laughs> like, I know I experience it firsthand with my kids. I'm like, oh, this is real. This is a real yeah. thing. <laughs> you, do you think? <laughs> so many are, have confusing or conflicting thoughts around the term sex positive, And that's one of the things you talk about. In your book and the term that you use that we hope to be sex positive parents so can you explain what you mean by that and then why is it important
1: yeah and i think if i could go back i would have changed every sex positive work work in my book word in my book to no shame because Mm -hmm. i I evolved a little in my thinking because i don't think it's just about sex i think sex is one piece Mm -hmm. there's also body image and, you know, and, um, and autonomy and, you know, consent that doesn't involve sex, you know, mm-hmm. just about consent of touch. Um, it, I think it's more broad than just sex positive. Um, but it's just about not, not having shame around the things that we do naturally, our bodies and our, and our sexuality. Um, so I think that, uh, that, what I mean by sex positive in the book, but now I would say is no shame is just to be very um, upfront about how the body changes and, and nurture the body practice self compassion, you know, be forgiving of yourself, um, love your body, not only for its, um, it's, it's, it's attractiveness, but for its function, right, mm-hmm. for the fact that it can do these amazing wondrous things like dance and give us children and, um, and, uh, and experience so many fabulous things through the senses. And it's just all about just loving the skin you're in and loving the developmental process, like becoming an actualized sexual human. And that's something we should be proud of and, and foster in our children.
0: Mm-hmm. Because I think that's great. And I think that people um, get really nervous about hearing Hearing sex positive and thinking, oh, so you're saying that my kid needs to go have sex, right? Like, do you think that a lot of people think of that when you first? Yeah, heard I've that? heard
1: that times. Like if I talk to my kids about sex, like I'll be ruining their innocence. And I'm like, no, you're preserving their innocence because they will get far worse information out there. So you're yeah. counterprogramming A. And B, the idea that talking about sex is going to make them have sex is absurd because the, all the studies show the opposite. That talking to your teenagers about sex delays, sexual initiation, because you are now a part of the conversation, Mm -hmm. which is where exactly where you want to be as a parent, because you can then layer in ideas of what do you want out of your first sexual experience? What are you looking for? You know, Mm -hmm. and, you know, do you think you need to be in a committed relationship for a while? How long, you know, what are the, what are the things you're looking for in that person? Do they have to be loyal? Do they have to be honest? And then you're like, where are you going to do it? What contraception you're going to use? All those conversations make them go, oh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, that's a lot, right? (laughs) You know, I have to get on this and I have to do that. And what if this person's abandoned me the next day? Like, I probably want to be with this person for a while. And, Mm -hmm. you know, where am I going to do it? I have to identify. And so you're delaying it because they have to think it through as opposed to impulsively doing it. Like teenagers are incredibly impulsive as, you know, anyone Mm -hmm. with, who's ever raised one, one will tell you. So, you know. But they're not stupid, so mm-hmm. give them. You're not saying no; you're saying just think it through for a second. Right? Yeah, and just saying no, all that's going to do is make them lie and go underground because they will have sex anyway when they when they when they feel they're ready because you you don't control them. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't
0: control a teenager. Mm-hmm. You just can't. Yeah, I think that's a big thing of recognizing they're their own person, and I think sometimes we get nervous of like. They're also a reflection of us, you know, and there's like that sense of an image thing that sometimes parents possess, but recognizing that kids are their own person.
1: You have to be a partner with your teen around, yeah. you know, sexual initiation, give them the risks, you know, talk to them about the benefits, the pleasures. Oh these- yeah.
0: Yeah. I was just going to say like, I feel like if we received conversations like that, I mean, if I had received conversations like that growing up. It's just our worlds would have been so different. Yeah. And I think everyone actually realizes, I mean, when you take the time to think about what if your parents sat down and had those conversations to with you, like you just said, all those things of what do you want in a relationship? How are you going to do this? And thinking about those things, it would have had me realized, wow, my parents really care about me. They really want me to be in loving and kind relationships, and uh, this is more complicated than I thought. <laughs> right. Yeah, <exactly. laughs> so I think that's fantastic. The other thing I was wondering, based on earlier when you we were talking about um, the teenagers who come into your practice, what are what is their reaction when you have these candid conversations? With them about sex initially, and then how does that change over time with them um, as they maybe leave your practice?
1: I am with them. I partner with them on their you know sexual journey. So you know, I think it 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 really starts with trying to understand where they're at and what they know about sex, and obviously giving them a lot of sexual education. Um, and when they start having sex, you know, to really under really be sure they're experiencing pleasure not pain. It's not painful for them. Mm-hmm. And I also really want to understand why they're doing it because a lot of teenagers have sex because they want attention, which is the wrong, I tell them every time it's the wrong reason, you know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it's for pleasure, not attention. It's for intimacy. It's for connection. It's not for attention. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're doing it for that reason, stop and rethink. Um. And you know, I give them the tools and the language to be able to negotiate, you know, with their person, uh, around, you know, what feels good, what feels, what's not good. And when they want to have sex, just, just because they had sex once, you know, I say it's not fair game to have sex all the time. If you don't if you're not enjoying it, if it doesn't feel right. Um, and so we have a lot of conversations around, you know, negotiating sex and, you know, negotiating pleasure and the, the consent process. And it, it's, it's really quite fun. And, and I think that the part that parents underestimate and teenagers always underestimate is the breakup. You know, once you start having sex, there is a lot of, I call, I call it the love brainwash. Mm-hmm. there's a lot of chemicals that are released in the brain to, for neurodevelopmental and neurobiological mechanisms to ensure the survival of our species right before contraception you have this extreme attachment to the person you're having sex with both male and female it doesn't matter and that is too because when they're a progeny you guys want to stay together right at least for a certain amount of time um, because that's beneficial develop, you know, in terms of raising children. So that love brainwash is very intense for men and for women, for boys and for girls. And the breakup is often horrendously painful for a teenager. And I, which I can attest because I went through it. I'm sure you did. And, um, and so like, how wonderful is it to have that happen while you're still at home with your parents? Mm. You know, to have that happen when you have their shoulder to cry on, when they can come and make, you know, make you a smoothie and, you know, uh, you know, watch stupid romance movies for a day and cry together. Like you, you know, you need that, you need that. And that's going to be able to help your child negotiate rejection.
0: Yeah. Rejection's huge. I think that's the biggest thing too, to help kids under like work through because, or find coping skills for I have a lot of youth who tell me uh we have no idea how to deal with t- rejection. We have no idea what to do with it. And I'm like, you know. So I think it's one of those things for parents too, like you said, like to offer the comforting being there for comfort, but also give them different tools that they can use moving like going forward because we're gonna experience a lot more breakups in our yeah, lives. Or other rejection. yeah, a lot more
1: rejection. Lot more breakups, a lot more rejection, a lot more heartache. And you know, I, it doesn't need to be the end of the world, you know, but it Mm -hmm. feels that way, but it's not. And, um, how as a parent, you can give them the tools and skills they need, because I've seen kids try to kill themselves. I've seen kids, Mm. you know, cut themselves, you know, really, really bad stuff because they do not have any skills with rejection. If you don't want that for your kid, then you know, help them navigate it. I've also seen the opposite, which is like the, the new, the new, new normal now, which is making me even more—I'm not even more sad, but sad in another way, which is that we are now telling our children over and over and over again not to get attached. You know, you're too oh. young. Don't have a boyfriend. Don't have a girlfriend. You're just going to go off to college. It's not going not going to work out anyway.
0: Oh, interesting. So,
1: and that I think is equally as harmful because it's playing out in ways that we don't understand. But yeah. I think. Negative ways because when they get older, they have no school, no intimacy skills.
0: Yeah, that's the truth, right? I've been hearing a lot of um, youth decide that they don't want to get in relationships because they're too busy. And they don't want to find the time.
1: Yeah, they don't want to find the time. They don't want to get they don't want to get their heart broken. And I respect that, but I also always challenge them. I'm always like, what do you mean you don't have the time? You don't have the time for love. You don't have the time for sex. This is the most fun thing you're gonna do as a senior in high school. Like, find the time. You know, like <laughs> time. I know. You know, this is like this is ridiculous. Like,
0: you know. Yeah. And like, I mean, fall in
1: love. It's one of the funnest things you're ever
0: gonna do in your life. Don't delay. true. First loves oh. are the best, right? Yeah, I mean, like, they're the ones that make you think back and be like, oh, how? Because there's so there's a, aspects of first loves that's just so there's an innocence to it, but there's also like this just great joy. Cause you look back and you're like, Oh, you're going to look
1: back and be like, I'm so glad I worked 150 hours a week in high school. Exactly.
0: <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah.
1: Is that what you're going to say when you're, when you're sitting on your deathbed, like, mm-hmm. you know, are you going to be like, you know, you're going to remember that high school boyfriend and that prom or that girlfriend or you're going to remember that moment where y'all went to the beach together and it was just like the moon was out and you made you know you had sex and it was incredible Mm -hmm. you know what like what are we doing to our kids when they don't have time to have relationships in high school that is to me so
0: yeah and it's through relationships right that's where we learn the most about ourselves and it's where we learn about this i mean like our purpose I feel on this earth is making connections and being in relationship with one another and growing and finding the depth of humans <laughs> right and so We're by
1: bars for the trees when we when we tell teenagers don't get into a relationship in high school I'm like I'm like I just want my i mean I don't want my kids to rush when but when they're ready I want them to find love like I'm really excited for them to have that experience and never say to them oh don't don't get into a relationship right now. You need to study for your SATs and, you, uh, you know, okay. Yeah. Study for your SATs, but you can,
0: you can have a balance, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's the truth. So is there any story in your life right now that you are reframing for yourself?
1: Oh gosh. Um, well, you know, if I could go back and do it all again and reframe things, I spent a lot of time in high school stressing about my looks and I know everybody does. Mm -hmm. But you know, I was very tall and very awkward and very self-conscious. And I used to hunch over. And I'm I am i am glad for it in some ways because it made me empathetic. But being six two and a half and growing up in, you know, any any high school, it doesn't matter. Do you ever see the movie Tall Girl again, Netflix? Yes, I did. Her pain was my pain. I mean that was my like life. It was like literally watching my childhood. Mm. You know, and and um it was, I'm even taller than her, right? She was like mm-hmm. six one or something. I'm six two and a half. And I wish I hadn't suffered so much by that. Like, I wish I just, I don't know, let it go. But it was very hard. Um, so that's something I really try to refrain with kids. I really try to get them to see to, it doesn't matter if what they're, they look like, right. Mm-hmm. They're healthy and their body gives them great opportunities for pleasure and enjoyment. And they have to focus on that no matter what they look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something I try to reframe for kids all the time. So that's something, um something that I think about, you know,
0: that's great. Yeah. Like reframing the sense that our bodies are our vehicles, right. Of being able to live in this world and experience it. And so let's be grateful for that. We <laughs> are in these bodies. Right. So
1: right now I am, you know, and, and right now I'm, I'm kind of like my body's changing a lot and uh, you know, just, it is what it is. I can't explain it, but you know, and I'm trying to embrace my new body because it's not, it's not it to be, you know? <laughs> and, uh, it's hard to keep the weight off and I, I don't focus on weight, but I'm trying to embrace my new body and just love it too. Like my, you know, my menstrual cycles are changing, like things are changing in my body. And that's good too, because that means like, I'm always trying to think about, okay, I never, I'm not, I'm no longer going to be a mother. I'm going to be the, the major, like the grant, the matriarch of so many, like, I'm trying to like, see it as like, God, I'm a, I'm becoming like a wise Yoda, like elder, like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to walk down the Ipanema and have everyone hooting at me anymore. Like I used to, but now I'm just like this wise mm-hmm. conoscente in, in, in um, in Italian, I'm Sicilian. They call it conoscente, the people in the know, you know, That's the people cool. who know things. That's who I am now. And mm-hmm. like, I'm trying to embrace my new, the next chapter because it's, mm-hmm. it's happening. I'm changing, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's all about just practicing what I preach and it's not easy. Trust me, because sometimes I get frustrated.
0: <laughs> I hear you. I hear you on that one. So we're almost done here for today. So I just want to thank you um for spending this time with me. And where can people find you if they want to um learn more about you and see all the good work you're doing? So Oh yeah. So um please
1: check out my book, No Shame, Real Talk with Your Kids about sex, self-confidence, and healthy relationship found wherever you want to buy it, like any, you know, online bookstore if you like, you know, the independent ones or Amazon. And then um shamelesspsychiatrist.com, I publish so many blogs on everything, you, you know, under the sun that I find interesting. So I have blogs on, you know, body image. I have blogs on um, mommy guilt. I have blogs on, you know, how to talk to your kid about anal sex. I have blogs on, you know, I have blogs on so many different things. So check that out as well. Awesome.
0: And do you, are you on Instagram as well? Yeah. Facebook? Yeah. Yeah. It's all shameless psychiatrist. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate the work you're doing. And uh if I could do it over again too, I would have gone into neuro <laughs> and studied yeah. more of that because I love oh, the brain. Neuroscience
1: is so oh. I got really lucky that I majored in it because I was thinking of majoring in psychology, but I had an incredible mentor named Michael Gazanica, who's actually a world famous neuroscientist, who encouraged me to take up the major and it was so amazing i would like put electrodes into little rats brains and like put them through mazes and it was real it was really cool
0: that's awesome i love the brain it's so fascinating anyway well thanks so much such a pleasure everything.
1: everything enjoyed it